Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be celebrating two wins as college football opens up in Kansas at the Division I level, and we are on the eve, the precipice of the return of the National Football League. And we'll see if the Kansas City Chiefs can make it to a third straight Super Bowl. And it's a big episode. We welcome you in to the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast in the known universe focusing on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. This is episode number 76. I am Blake Cripps. Joined once again by my co-host, Tommy Castor. How was the holiday weekend for you, Mr. Castor? You know, it was good. Um, it was really nice to enjoy like a day of it just raining. Uh, it, I feel like it's been a while. Like We've had a lot of sunshine and hot weather and that sort of thing. Uh, but it was nice to just have like a day where it was gloomy and rainy and cool. Uh, it got me really excited for fall and, and, and football for sure. So we do have a lot of football to get to. We've got, of course, the Wichita Whip Around. I've got a big addition coming up. It involves baseball that we absolutely have to get to, but I can't fit it in the regular show because we have so much else to get to. So that'll be coming up as well. Also just a smidge of high school football that got kicked off last week as well. The Wildcats solid against Stanford. The Chiefs get started, but we lead the show with the Kansas Jayhawks. KU finally wins after over six Hundred calendar days. The Jayhawk football team, as your guy Tommy and mine, Brian Haney likes to say, rock chuck it up. Yes, you're not dreaming. The Jayhawks actually won. I'm leading the show with KU, not because I'm a KU homer, although I am, and so is Tommy, but because, let's be honest, from what I saw in that game, and yes, I actually did go through with my plan, and I fully expected to purchase the Disney bundle and just be pissed off at wasting my money approximately three hours later as I watched it back on the replay that night and early into the next morning. I totally expected that I was just going to be throwing my money down the drain at another Jayhawk disappointment, but I did watch the game. From what I saw, Tommy, this might be the last time that we're going to lead with KU this year unless something crazy happens because I'm not seeing it. 17-14, they beat the Coyotes of South Dakota. Tommy... I think that you've got concerns all over the field after this game. The defense did play pretty well, but we'll start offensively. Big concerns. They averaged two yards per carry. The Jayhawks managed under 250 yards. They had 18 yards of offense in the first quarter. I actually kind of liked the game plan. I liked the time of possession. KU was bad on third down. They were bad on fourth down. They did turn out, they took advantage of their opportunities in the red zone because if they had not, they would have lost this football game 100%. They would have choked it away. What were your initial thoughts, takeaways from finally a Jayhawk win to open up the Coach Leipold era? It's about what I expected it to be. Uh, you know, I, I figured that more than likely Kansas would get a victory, but it wasn't going to look good. 
It wasn't going to be pretty. It did uh, you know, and it Coach Light, yeah, Coach Leipold after the game, um, you know, said that they weren't looking for for any kind of style points, which there were no style points <laughs> no. whatsoever. Um, but I mean, let's keep it in perspective here. There haven't been style points for Kansas in a long time, um, so this isn't unique to Coach Leipold whatsoever. Um, one thing, I, you know, I, I try to find the silver linings here, right? Uh, I, I try to be a glass half full optimistic personality uh, as much as I can be. So let's talk about a a silver lining here for Kansas. There were no turnovers for the Jayhawks in this game. They didn't have any fumbles. They didn't have any interceptions. Uh, That's important when the offense is struggling like it is to, to not shoot yourself in the foot and turn the ball over. Had there been a turnover or two or five or however many, they certainly wouldn't have won the game. But ball security was a positive that you can take away from this victory that Kansas had against South Dakota. Everybody's going to say South Dakota is an FCS team. The Jayhawks won 17 to 14. But again, in context, the Jayhawks are by far the worst power five football program in America. Uh, the, the, The worst... FBS program in America. So the fact that they barely beat an FCS school uh, is not super surprising, Um, but it was nice to see the coach Leipold era get off to a victory. That's going to be few and far between for a while here for Kansas. Um, And I know that we can get into the defense. I know we can get into the performance of quarterback, Jason Bean, uh, some of the other things that are going on uh, with, with Kansas, but overall, it felt good. It was good to get a victory, uh, and I, I was impressed late in the game, uh, the last drive that Jason Bean engineered to get Kansas into the end zone to to to, to win the game for the for the Jayhawks. So you know it is what it is. Um, if you're a Jayhawk fan, you'll take it uh, because you know you're probably not going to get many more of those. No, probably not. And I think the running game is going to be a struggle all year long because you know that there are going to be better defenses in the Big Twelve than what. KU faced in week one and outside of Jason Bean Kansas rushed 25 times for 30 yards in this game they averaged 1.5 yards per carry less than that actually in this football game outside of Bean Lawrence Arnold made a couple of very big plays for Kansas Mason Fairchild the tight end I thought he gave some nice reps maybe he can kind of develop into a security blanket for Jason Bean in the passing game. He had four catches on four targets for 58 yards. Jack Cochran was big, but there were two late touchdowns that KU gave up in this game that were on the ground. And I thought KU, for the most part, played solid defensively. I'm not really sure how talented South Dakota really is on offense compared to the offenses that KU is going to be facing when you've got Oklahoma, you got a great running back at Iowa State. You've got a solid running game at Kansas State. You know, we haven't even talked about Oklahoma State and all these other schools. Um, I, I feel like the late touchdowns on the ground that KU gave up were really disappointing. KU did not do a, a good job getting into the backfield. They only had four tackles for loss. They only had two quarterback hurries. So defensively, they were solid, Tommy, but I just didn't feel like they were making a whole bunch of positive plays for Kansas in this game. And I I, I worry about them even next week. KU's playing, believe it or not, a top 25 team in Coastal Carolina next week. We'll get to the Chanticleers in just a moment, but... Um, you know, even just, you know, we can't be thinking about the, the, the big 12 schedule, you know, KU's got a big test coming up next week and 
based on how they played, even though the defense was okay, I got concerns heading into to, to the Coastal Carolina game coming up on Friday. Well, there are clearly concerns on both sides of the ball, and that's going to continue uh, for Kansas, no doubt about it. Um, you know, you have to look at a guy like Kenny Logan, though, who can be sort of the emotional leader on defense for the Jayhawks. You know, he had seven tackles in that game against South Dakota. He also had a kick return for 83 yards at one point late in the game as well. So, you know, he was kind of doing it in a couple of different phases of the game, you know, for the, for the Jayhawks. But You know, Blake, you mentioned the running game offensively for Kansas. For sure, that's a concern. I mean, think about the success that Kansas, the Kansas rushing attack has had over the last couple of years, even in the middle of bad Jayhawks teams. I mean, you look at Puka Williams, for example, you know, and he's not the only one there. They've had several different running backs that have seen different levels of success for Kansas over the last couple of seasons. In a lot of cases, the passing game was would be non-existent for Kansas, and they would have to lean on their running backs. But it was abysmal uh, on on Friday night for Kansas. Um, like you mentioned, what'd you say, twenty five attempts and thirty some yards? I mean, that is just it's paltry, uh, you know, for the rushing attack for Kansas. They're gonna have to have multiple different ways to push the ball down the field. Jason Bean is a good quarterback, and I'll tell you again, trying to find a silver lining here. Uh, I feel more confident with a guy like Jason Bean under center than I had the last couple of years with the variety of ragtag players that the Jayhawks have tossed out, you know, from week in to week out. Um, you know, I think the last time I felt fairly confident about a quarterback was probably Carter Stanley, and that was two years ago, three years ago. It's been pretty bad for a while uh, for the quarterback position for Kansas. I think Jason Bean is a competent quarterback. The problem is if you don't have any sort of rushing attack to complement what Jason Bean can do, then the defenses can zero in on him nonstop every single play because they know that ultimately he's going to get the ball. He's going to either keep it himself or try to pass it and they can zero in on him. So that's going to be something you know significantly that Kansas is going to have to shore up in the weeks to come. Not only that, but I think it might test their quarterback depth as well because he was actually the best offensive option on the ground for Kansas as well. He ran for 54 yards, averaged over 3.5 yards per carry behind an offensive line that I thought was kind of leaky, didn't do a great job in pass protection, didn't do a great job in the run block. And Jason Bean, while he did complete 17 of 26, two touchdowns, and as you mentioned, no interceptions, which was big, only 163 yards and definitely missed some open throws. And one I thought down the seam, I think it was in the first half, that probably is a touchdown or at least inside the 10-yard line for Kansas if he makes that throw. So I, I thought that he was okay, but he, he was not perfect in his debut. Well, and, uh, and the other thing I want to mention, and you touched on it, and I think that this is really important, is about the offensive line. Actually, both lines in general for Kansas. I mean, you know, I think that that goes overlooked quite a bit. And the fact that the offensive line struggled at times, again, against an FCS team, you start playing Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, you know, Iowa State, the Big 12, they've got some hosses on the line. (laughs) And, you know, if, if the Jayhawks are struggling against an FCS team in the line play, then you better expect if you're Jason Bean, you got to be thinking, I'm going to be running for my life 
back there week in and week out. So again, you, you try to find the silver linings where you can. Unfortunately, you, th- there are there are more holes in this Kansas team than an entire package of Swiss cheese. So it's just going to be a matter of what can you try to do little by little to shore up and see even minimal gains from week to week. So the Jayhawks at number 22, Coastal Carolina, 6.30 p.m. Friday night on ESPN2 as the Jayhawks will try to pick up their second winner in a row. Boy, I can't even remember the last time the Jayhawks had back-to-back wins. Wrapping up on Coastal Carolina, Tommy, what were your thoughts on the Jayhawk faithful rushing the field after this win uh, over South Dakota? The Jayhawk faithful, Jayhawk Nation, got absolutely crushed on social media for doing this. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. What were your thoughts about uh, the students and, and KU rushing the field after a win over the uh, the vaunted Yotes? It is what it is. Uh, you know, you have to keep in mind, these kids, uh, they don't get to experience Kansas football wins very often. And, you know, there's a very good likelihood this is the only one that they're going to get this season. So if they want to rush the field... That's totally fine. They're not going to beat Coastal Carolina this weekend. Um, yeah, I, I do think that the Jayhawks can cover the spread. I don't know if you saw the spread. Jay, the Jayhawks are a 27 point underdog. Um, oh you know, gosh. which they only lost by two touchdowns last year against Coastal Carolina. I feel like we've played Coastal Carolina every year for the last like 40 years. Every year we have this team on our schedule, and I'm tired of it. Two years ago, we played them. In Lawrence, I was at that game. It was the worst football game I've ever been to in my entire life. Both teams were terrible. Wasn't and the J seven six or something. It was twelve to seven. Coastal Carolina <laughs> right. won. Uh, it was awful. That was terrible. It was awful. Um, I think it was like the second game ever in the Les Miles era. It was just just an awful game to watch on both sides. Uh, and then, of course, they go to Coastal Carolina. They lose by two touchdowns last year. I don't think they're going to lose by. 27 or more points. I think they cover the spread. They might lose by three touchdowns, but I think they'll, they'll cover the spread. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I thought it was kind of funny So, because I, I posted this on my social media, and I said, so you want KU fans to act like they've been there before? Like, have you been paying attention <laughs> to what's been going on the last, like, 10 years or so? We don't know. They don't know. KU they football haven't been there fans, before. No. KU football fans are actually pretty dumb. Now, yeah. in the critics' defense, it is it is actually pathetic that we rush the field when beating an FCS team. That's sure. actually pathetic. Terrible, sure. terrible look. But like, what what do you what do you want from KU fans? You can't celebrate, but you're supposed to act like there before. But you know, when you have us on the X Y axis, we're an embarrassing embarrassment. You know, yep. like, what, what do you want from us? So right. just relax. Anyway, we'll see if it gets any better or worse next week. We'll see if we can finally snap our losing streak to the Chanticleers. Can't wait. Kansas State Wildcats, you guys were solid. A solid win to open up your season in the kickoff to college football, the official one on the big Fox noon kickoff over the Stanford Cardinal. A 24-7 win for Kansas State. And Tommy, kind of, I hate to say that I had this, but I kind of had this. Wildcats dominated the ground game. They ran all over the Cardinal, 200 to 39 on the ground. Deuce Vaughn, 124 yards on 13 carries, including a 59-yard rushing touchdown. Kansas State was solid and steady. They didn't ask Skylar Thompson to do a lot in the passing game. 
Only 14 attempts, completed 9, 144 yards, did have an interception in the end zone, left yards and probably a couple of touchdowns out there on the table, but... Kansas State never really felt like they were going to get challenged, never really felt like even when the game was two possessions in the second half, never really felt like Kansas State was uncomfortable, never really felt like Stanford was going to get into the game offensively and, and make a contest of it. You just had that much trust in the defense. The defense certainly looked much, much improved. Now, Stanford was running a two-quarterback set, and you know what the adage is. If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. And I don't think that either Stanford quarterback was particularly good. So, again, similar to what we said about Kansas, this is probably not the metric that we're going to be using to evaluate the Kansas State defense once we're into October and November. But to open up the season against a Power 5 school in Stanford and win pretty comfortably, Tommy, I think Kansas State fans, and most importantly, Coach Kleiman, I think will understand that there are things that need to be shored up and worked on. But overall, uh, I think you'll take a 24-7 win to open up your season. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, and you know, you say 24-7. It was pretty much 24-0 until the last few yes, minutes of was. the game. Um, you know, the, the Wildcats were pitching a shutout. I, I feel like... You and I both owe a little bit of an apology to the Wildcats from our show last week, only because we when what did we talked. Well, we both were in agreement about this, and I'm going to tell you what it was. We were both talking about the Wildcats in our preview show last week and saying we feel like offensively the Wildcats are going to be there with Skyler Thompson back for a sixth season. With Deuce Vaughn as the dynamic playmaker that he is, we feel like offensively they're going to be there. But if we have concerns, it's with the defense, with Wyatt Huber no longer there, you know, with the fact that they've got some unproven kids on defense. The Wildcat defense looked phenomenal uh, against Stanford. Now, obviously, Stanford is down a little bit. They lost their quarterback, Davis Mills, to the NFL. He's now with the Houston Texans. So they've got a new quarterback that, you know, first game under center for him. So I get it. It's This isn't like a hardcore offensive juggernaut that Stanford has. However, the Wildcat defense looked really, really solid for most of the game. And let's not forget, I I pulled this up, let's not forget that the Wildcat defense last year was a huge issue. They allowed at least 32 points six times last season. One game they allowed 45 points, and another game they allowed 69 points last season. So the fact that they were able to hold Stanford to zero points until just the last few minutes of the game and ultimately win 24-7, to if, if I'm Chris Kleiman, I've got to be super encouraged about what the Wildcat defense was able to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, like I said, the Stanford Cardinal not going to be the high-octane offense that we're going to see Kansas State have to play against. But Daniel Green and Cody Fletcher – both made a ton of plays. KU uh, Kansas State had four sacks, eight tackles for loss, two interceptions. It was a great start for the secondary for Kansas State in an area that, as you mentioned, they needed to have big improvement in. Coach Kleiman talked a lot about the defense going to the three-man front. Certainly seemed to work. Uh, neither quarterback was that great. And offensively, I liked what I saw out of Phillip Brooks. Had some yeah. big catches. We saw Daniel and Matrobebe have a pretty tidy game at tight end. You could see the building blocks of an offense that – 
I think can be effective for Kansas State doing exactly what they did last week. They controlled the time. They ran the football. They dominated up front. There were a couple of breakdowns and blocking and a couple of negative plays that probably shouldn't have happened. A couple in the passing game, a couple in the running game. And Skylar Thompson was far from perfect. Sure. He missed some open receivers. There were points that were left out there for Kansas State. I think that this probably could have been more like a 35-7 to game or something like that, depending on what connections they can make. But yeah, the defense, I thought, played very, very well. Uh, and obviously, uh, next week, a much different kind of a test as well. We'll get to that. But offensively, what did you like out of, you saw, out of what you saw from Kansas State? I thought the offensive line for Kansas State, for the most part, was pretty consistent. I realized that 59 of the 124 yards for Deuce Vaughn was on the ground. But even if you take that out, you're looking at, what, about 12 carries for about 70 yards you're you're probably gonna take that unless you're Iowa State and you got Brees Hall most programs if you can get five and a half to six yards per carry you're probably gonna take that and obviously with the explosiveness and the shiftiness that Duth Swan has if you give it to him enough times he's gonna break one for you for 20 30 40 this time it was for 60 and six points yeah, so, you know, Deuce Vaughn finished 13 carries, 124 yards overall. Averaged almost 10 yards a carry. You'll take that every day of the week and twice yes. on Sundays from, from your running back for sure. And I just go back to our conversation about, about Kansas and about how, you know, th there was no running attack in that game against South Dakota. And Jason Bean had to put the game on his shoulders. Kansas State has the luxury to have a playmaker like Deuce Vaughn. So Skylar Thompson doesn't have to do it all. In fact, Skylar Thompson sometimes can be a nice change of pace to what Deuce Vaughn can do. Deuce Vaughn can carry the heavy load, and Skyler Thompson can be unremarkable. I think that was the term that you used for him just a couple of moments ago. He was steady. He wasn't anything, you know, incredible. He was 9 of 14 passing, 144 yards. He ran 10 times for 33 yards. He had a rushing touchdown. Uh, yeah, but it looked it, like Colin Klein running over a guy to get that touchdown. That's too, very true. But I, I watched him in that game, and... I just thought to myself, it was nice to see someone like Skylar Thompson who has complete control of his game and, and, his, and his offense. Um, and that's what you get, the maturity level and the experience of a sixth-year senior. Obviously, he missed a majority of last season with that shoulder injury, um, but you just watched him out. I don't know if you thought the same thing I did, but I just watched him just have complete control of the offense. And he's the, he's the captain. He's the general. He's the one out there that's leading the charge. Does he necessarily have to throw for 300 yards? Does he need to throw for five touchdowns for, for the Wildcats to win? I don't think so. Maybe when you play a high-octane Big 12 offense and you have to match him. Uh, but right now, especially against the Stanford Cardinal, he didn't have to do that for yeah. the Wildcats to win comfortably. So I looked at Skylar Thompson in the same way that I look at a point guard on a good basketball team. The floor general, the field general, right? Uh, he managed the game well. He wasn't remarkable. What quarterbacks want to be. You don't want to call right. game managers, though. He wasn't remarkable with his stat line, but he sure had control of the offense. Southern Illinois is next. They had a 47-21 win in the War for the Wheel rivalry game over Southeast Missouri. Nick Baker set a Saluki record 460 yards passing in this game, and he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. Tommy... Everybody's going to look at this and say, oh, Southern Illinois, FCS school, eh, who cares? Um, you know, this should be a blowout win. 
as as lead course, I don't have a bolt. I don't have a number two pencil around here. I'll use the Sharpie. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> SIU is ranked seventh in the FCS. This is going to be a real test for the Wildcats secondary. I think that Southern Illinois, I'm not saying that Kansas State's going to lose this game, but what I am saying is that I would love to see Kansas State come out and really ratchet down on the Salukis. Avante Cox last week for the Salukis, nine balls, 187 yards receiving, including a 99-yard touchdown. Can I interest you in that? Three other receivers, for Tommy, in this first week win for Southern Illinois had a catch with at least 60 yards receiving and a touchdown. So it's not just a one-man show, but Avante Cox is a one-man show kind of a talent. And for Kansas State, we're going to learn a lot more about what appears to be an improved secondary less, uh, next week, even though it is against a lesser opponent from a lesser division. Well, part of those yards from Avante Cox was a 99-yard touchdown pass from the quarterback, Nick Baker. So that's going to help pad your stats a little bit. But Nick Baker was very efficient uh, for quarterback yes. for the Salukis. He was 25 of 34. He only had nine incompletions the entire game, threw for 460 yards and four TDs. He did have one interception. But that's the thing about this Southern Illinois team is that they air the ball out for sure. So I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be a true test for the secondary for Kansas State. Ultimately, I think the Wildcats get the victory. Um, I was really impressed by what the secondary for Kansas State was able to do. They had a couple of picks uh, against Stanford. Um, they're going to have to be on top of their game. It could be a relatively high-scoring game. Um, you know, I, I think Deuce Vaughn has another great outing. Skyler Thompson may have to be a little bit more than a game manager. I'm not saying that Southern Illinois is better than Stanford is, but I think that Southern Illinois has the potential to put up more points in this game. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how the, how the Salukis are defensively. They did give up 21 points to Southeast Missouri State. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this game pans out, but I do think the Wildcats get the victory. And so with that, we move on. Uh, by the way, that game against uh, Southern Illinois coming up next week, week two for Kansas State. Hey, before uh, we move oh yeah, away from it. before we move away from college football entirely, I do think we would be remiss to not at least mention the struggle that the Oklahoma Sooners had against Tulane sure. over the weekend. I don't know if How's you watched that, SEC that game. Looking right now, exactly. I, I don't know if you watched that game, but Tulane was the better team for. I don't know, 58 of the 60 minutes out on the field. Uh, and, and the fact that this was supposed to be a Tulane home game and it was played in Norman, Tulane, and keep in mind, Tulane completely displaced due to Hurricane Ida, had to yes. practice at the University of Alabama facilities and then go to Norman, Oklahoma to play their quote-unquote home game. And they very nearly upset the number two team in America. So I don't know about you. This totally solidifies, in my mind, the fact that I like Iowa, Iowa State to State. win the Big 12. Yeah. I am doubling down on the Cyclones for sure. Yeah, not a good look. I know that a lot of uh, a lot of Oklahoma Sooners fans were like, oh, well, that effort beats 12 out of 14 teams in the SEC. Like, I don't know if that defense is going to beat 12 out yeah. of 14 teams 
in the SEC. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I mean, and offensively, listen, you know, I'm not going to argue with you and say that Tulane was necessarily the, you know, was or was not the better team. I mean, the Tulane defense gave up 40 points. So I mean, it's not like Oklahoma really struggled to score. However, this might, this may signal a return. I'm not, I'm not sure how good Tulane is supposed to be, but this might signal a return to the 2018 days when Oklahoma scores a thousand points, but gives yeah. up a thousand and one. Yep. So we'll see. Didn't work and out you know, well for the Sooners that year. The head coach for Tulane is Willie Fritz. He's a guy that has been on the radar, the coaching radar for the Jayhawks. The last couple of different times there were openings, he hasn't gotten the job, but Willie Fritz outcoached Lincoln Riley in my mind over the weekend. Um, you know, and this could very well be, you know, a, a look of a pretty strong American conference when it comes to football Maybe. as well with Tulane. And the fact that I don't know if, you know, you saw the four teams that are uh, scheduled to at least apply to become Big 12 members it sometime did. this week, and three of them are American schools. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out for the American. The game is on Saturday for Kansas State against Southern Illinois, by the way. It is a 6 p.m. kickoff, and you'll have to have the plus to watch that one. You brought it up, Tommy. I was going to get to this later on in the show, but we might as well just segue right to that. Big 12 conference expansion. Not realignment, but conference expansion. A possibility now, as several reports have indicated that as this episode 76 is coming out on the CogPod, and by the way, uh, we want to remind you to like, share, and subscribe. I didn't even give a, all of our socials to start the show. CogSports.com, Facebook.com, slash Keeper of the Games, and at CogPod on Twitter, videos on YouTube, and our Facebook page, uh, and the audio pretty much everywhere from Spotify to Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. But... It seems that the push has never been stronger for the Big 12 to stay around. And it seems like the eight schools that are making up the Big 12 currently, not counting the two that are leaving for the SEC, seem all in on keeping the Big 12 the Big 12. And they'll be adding four schools, if you believe the reports from CBS Sports, to do that. Brigham Young University, of course, is the big national brand that they would bring in. The other three, as you mentioned from the American, Houston, Cincinnati, and Central Florida, all schools that have been in and around and competing for New Year's six bowl games within the last decade. So it, they do bring a big-time amount of uh, football cachet on the field. They all bring big television numbers off the field in terms of the markets. Houston, obviously, the number three television market in the country. Tampa, Florida, a huge television market with a school of 70. I think I read 77,000 kids go to that school. Are you bleeping me? In Central Florida and Cincinnati, obviously, that's a mega, mega market there in the Rust Belt. And Brigham Young is you know one of those schools that has been playing independently but has a national following. It wasn't what it once was, but maybe getting into a conference, would that stir the Brigham Young faithful to turn out even more for the Cougars? Who knows? What are your thoughts on those four schools that obviously, let's cut out all the pretense, they're not going to all add up to what Texas and Oklahoma take away from camp, from the from the Big 12. They're not going to make it up. The question is, Tommy, will they make up it up? And I do think that they will make up some, a good chunk, a big chunk. Over half? Probably not. But is that enough? For all the schools, for the major schools who are thinking about making a move, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, is it enough of a bump up 
for those schools to say, you know what, it's not as good as being in the Big 12 as it is today, but it's better than being in the next best option. No, uh, I, I, I really don't think so. I think this is uh, a lesson in, in futility. Um, you know, I think that the Big 12 is flailing a little bit. Um, I, and I just don't understand why BYU and why these three schools from the American would want to go to the Big 12, which I don't even know if you can call it the Big 12 anymore. It's a shell of its former former self. It will be. You're losing Oklahoma. You're losing Texas. You've already lost the brands of Nebraska, Colorado, Texas A&M, and Missouri. I just don't. It's not the it's not the Big 12 anymore. And I just don't. I don't think that it's going to work long term. And if I'm Houston, if I'm Cincinnati, if I'm UCF, I'm doing just fine in the American. Like you just said, I'm playing for New Year's Six bowl games. Uh, in the case of you know Houston, and in the case of Central Florida, they were there not that long ago in in the New Year's Six bowls. So why do you need to go to the Big 12? I mean, I understand there's money, but I just don't understand what I don't understand what you can get from the Big 12 that you can't get from from why growing is, your brand better in the American. Why is Texas and Oklahoma leaving? Because of money. Do you realize that in the last television deal, Central Florida got under five and a half million dollars from their television revenue from the AAC as part of their annual payout. The Big 12, even in its shambled state, will have at least four times that. But here's my here's my thing. Schools. Why would you want to join the Big 12 when it's still we you don't know what the next TV deal is going to be There's like a risk. for the Big It's absolutely a risk because but you think know of, your next think TV of what, deal no, is no, going to no, be th- for the Americans. Think of what think of what the Big 12 has for their television deal right now. What, it's sure. it's much 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 below what the SEC has, what the Big Ten has, what not the Pac-12 has, basis. what they not but on a per school basis. But as a conference, you are relegated to streaming on ESPN Plus. That's your conference television package. That's sure. what you have. The American Conference has a full fledged television deal with ESPN, the mothership. And the Big 12 currently has their deal on ESPN Plus with Big 12 now. So until you know what the next television deal is going to look like for the Big 12, which that's the deal with the Big 12 with OU and Texas still in the conference. What's the deal going to look like without OU and Texas? So if, if I'm the American schools, if I'm BYU, I'm thinking there's a risk that could pay off. But maybe the grass is not greener on the other side. Maybe we should continue doing what we're doing because it seems to be working. That's just my opinion. Listen, the idea that there are no games on ESPN Plus in the American is quite frankly false. No, no, no. There, is, there are. There absolutely are. But there, but they, the percentage? But, and also, don't tell me that being on CBS Sports Network is the same as being on ES, It's base. You're basically on ESPN Plus. And they got a lot of games on CBS Sports Network. Okay? So that that's not the same. In terms of the television deal, they've got maybe one game a week that's on the FS1. They get, they're getting zero games on Fox ever. When's the last time the American played on Fox? I, I have no idea. Probably Can when you, Houston was number two or number three in America probably, last season. 
Probably that that that's probably it. You you've got that and that is it. So you've got a ton of games that are on ESPN Plus anyway. You've still got games that are getting shifted onto Fridays, which the schools don't like. That's still happening in the American. We're making the argument that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving primarily because of money, because strategically and with from a competition standpoint. Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12 and has gone to so many college football playoffs. I believe that they would have a better chance to continue getting into the college football playoff, especially under the expanded playoffs that are coming. And I know that, again, just as you're saying, we don't exactly know what that's going to look like. Will it be 8? Will it be 10? Will it be 12? Will it be 50? I, you know, We don't exactly know what the college football playoff is going to look like. But I cannot... For the life of me, think of a single school in the American that would say, you know, gosh, you're, you're going to give us four times as much money? Nah, I'm going to stick and play. Nah, we're, we're going to stay in the American. There, there's nobody who's going to do that. The same as if you had somebody coming out of the Mountain West because you still have, sure, you are not going, as we said when we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, there's no brand that is going to compete with Texas and Oklahoma. And those four schools, even though there are some big brands, Cincinnati and BYU and, you know, maybe Houston, but they're not Texas and Oklahoma. They never will be. However, those schools coming in, that could be a pretty darn good football conference. That could be a pretty damn good basketball conference. And I would argue in terms of strength of schedule, particularly in basketball, it would be a better strength of schedule conference than the American would be without those schools in it. Obviously, Wichita State and Memphis are very, very good. They're going to be very solid. I think SMU has a chance to be really solid in basketball. Football, I don't think, is a competition, especially if Iowa State continues on the trajectory that they are on. It's a better football conference, especially when you subtract Houston and Cincinnati from it. Central Florida, who knows what they're going to be. That was kind of a flash in the pan with Scott Frost. I don't know if they're going to have good long-term success there. Nobody does. But for me, if it's all about money for Texas and Oklahoma, I, I don't understand why you don't believe that these four lesser schools who need money way more than Texas and Oklahoma, several people have told me, Texas fans, devout Christians, they will look me straight in the eye and say, Texas has more money than God. And they probably do, okay? So why, if they need more money to go to the SEC, why doesn't Houston and BYU? Look, uh, my, my only point is this, that you're rolling the dice here if you're one of these schools. There, you are, there is a chance. And there you're is rolling, a chance either way. Either and way. you're rolling the dice if you're the Big 12 by accepting these schools. Uh, Why? And, and may, well, maybe not the conference, but the, the, the institutions, the remaining institutions. So he, here's my point. Look at this from a perspective of like Kansas. Are you telling me that Kansas is in a better situation by staying in the Big 12 and welcoming these four schools in than pursuing an opportunity to potentially join, let's say, the Big 10 or the ACC? I don't no. think so. No. I don't However, think so. is there – I don't have tangible proof that such an opportunity exists. But Do that's you? Not saying, that's not saying that it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist – 
six months from now or a year from now, if Kansas That's a roll like of the dice too, we, though. we talked about we talked about this a week ago that these remaining schools in the Big Twelve, sure they're going to put out statements of solidarity until something better comes along for them. So I'm still not convinced that the Big Twelve will exist when Texas and Oklahoma leave the conference. And if I'm Cincinnati or Houston or UCF or BYU, I understand there's a potential for a payday. I understand that I might be taking a risk, but the bigger risk, in my opinion, with those schools is thinking that the Big 12 is on solid footing. And if I leave the if I leave my conference, the Big 12 is going to be there to welcome me because I'm not so sure that that's still 100% certain. I think that I they, think, the I think that there are others there there are these schools like Kansas and Iowa State that could be good fits for the the Big Ten. I think there are other institutions that if the SEC wants to expand further could be good fits for them as well. So I don't know. I just I don't think it's as a slam dunk deal as it you know as it po- possibly could be. The other thing that I want to bring up, and you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, as far as talking about the basketball credentials, my first thought was this is significant, significantly going to negatively impact Wichita state basketball. If Houston and Cincinnati and UCF leave the American conference, especially Houston and Cincinnati leaving the American conference. This will not help the conference strength of schedule for the shockers. They no. left the Missouri Valley to join the American because it was a stronger conference. This whole thing has a trickle down effect and it could negatively impact the shockers and what they, what they're trying to do in basketball. I a hundred percent agree. I think the American, if these schools leave is going to be on life support. you think the big 12 is desperate right now? I do think that there's a chance because of, I think that there is a, a willingness to give America, the American conference, the benefit of the doubt because of their commissioner who's been very forward thinking. And I think people have been very impressed with the television deal that has been able to get that conference. And like you said, Tommy, I know I kind of poo-pooed it a while ago. For, for a conference of that stature to have as many games on ESPN as they do and as few games on CBS Sports Network, ESPN Plus, I think he's done about the best job that he could do. But also, with that I mean, conference. this is not the first time in just the short couple of years that the Shockers have been part of the American that there's been a school leaving the conference. UConn left the American right. last. They're no longer. And like that was a big draw, especially in women's basketball with what UConn yes. women's basketball does. They're no longer part of the American. And now you're potentially going to be losing Houston and Cincinnati. I mean, that that's a big blow to what Wichita State's trying to do. I I think that if if this is going to happen, what's going to have to happen? It's it's very obvious to me. There's going to have to be a contract. And you better believe that those three schools, four schools, however many are coming in, they're going to have it outlined. If you leave the Big 12 in the next 15, 20, whatever long the grant of rights will be, the penalty will be it'll be crippling for the athletic department, especially because, you know, they're talking about how bad bad this is going to hurt Texas and Oklahoma and that. Texas is possibly going to subsidize the Oklahoma move with the owed money from the Longhorn Network contract, which I don't really understand how they're still going to get that money from that contract. But they're talking about how big of a hit it's going to be to Texas and Oklahoma to yeah. leave if they have to pay this money and leave early, like you and I both kind of think is more likely than not that's going to happen than than the alternative of them staying through the end of the 2024-2025 season, which I don't think is that likely. Uh, and if I they think- stay, if Texas and Oklahoma stays that long, there I did read an article, I think from ESPN, 
that said that there's a potential that those four other schools could come in a year before Texas and Oklahoma leave. So you could have a 16, that no 14, you have a 14 14 team team, big 12, uh, schedule for that one season which would be just absolute chaos it would be weird it would be crazy and you know it goes to illustrate that we don't know what we don't know and there is certainly a lot of moving pieces but that's i don't like it i don't like any of it we may be seeing well we may have more to talk about on that next week if you believe the reports this might be official as you're watching this so we will see how that works out this week we move on from college football and finally get to our official 2021 Kansas City Chiefs football preview as the Chiefs will look to become yet another team to make it to three straight Super Bowls. Can they go two and one after winning the Super Bowl and then losing it last year as I don't know if I would call it a dominating performance, but Tampa Bay was darn close to dominating the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. Uh, Tommy, Kansas City has built themselves into perhaps the preeminent power in the American football conference, making back-to-back Super Bowls, back-to-back Lamar Hunt trophies. It's all about Patrick Mahomes and the offense. The defense has been much improved over the last few years. However, in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 55, Mahomes was on the turf a lot. He was running for his life a lot. He was hit eight times, sacked three times, and he had to run. I just read this actually today. Forbes, of all people, had this stat. He ran 497 yards in that game before throwing the ball or being sacked. So the offensive line, which was in shambles due to injuries, due to guys opting out for the wild, crazy, wacky 2020 season, the offensive line is going to be almost completely rebuilt. Tommy, what are your initial thoughts on the Chiefs last season, on their upcoming season? I believe that the season, success or failure, is going to come down to those five guys on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that offensive line gels together. And I agree with you. That is um, what's most intriguing to me about this upcoming season. Uh, A lot of people I've noticed that are Chiefs fans mistakenly think that the offensive line woes are a new thing for Kansas City, Uh, that the Super Bowl was the first time that there were offensive line issues. Not a new thing. This has been going on for quite a while. Uh, And I... I remember Maybe tw- not two tw- years ago. Not two years ago, but but last season specifically, uh, I think two years ago was kind of an anomaly, to be honest with you, because uh, they had offensive line woes prior to that too. But I tweeted multiple times about the fact that uh, it was infuriating to me that you had a once-in-a-generation talent under center in Patrick Mahomes with an incredible supporting cast of dynamic playmakers around him, but the Chiefs were almost willing to waste the prime years of that quarterback and risk injury to him by not protecting him at all and him having to run for his life every single play. That wasn't just the Super Bowl. That happened for most of last season. So the fact that they completely rebuilt the offensive line was what they needed to do. Uh, Eric Fisher, gone. He's out. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal. I'm kind of glad to see Eric Fisher go. I wanted to in the Eric Fisher experiment a long time ago and had Eric Fisher not been the first overall draft pick in 2013. I think the Chiefs would have cut bait a long time ago from him, but they had a lot invested in Eric Fisher and they wanted to see it through. In the Super Bowl year, played pretty well. 
give him credit there, but yeah, did he did he play did well? Work. Did he play well enough to warrant the first overall draft pick for Kansas City in twenty thirteen? Probably not. No. Yeah, I mean, he made two Pro Bowls. Uh, he was serviceable. Had a couple of good seasons. A couple of good seasons for sure. But it was time to move on from Eric Fisher. I agree, without a doubt. I'm glad. Thank you for your service, Eric Fisher. Enjoy your time in Indianapolis. Uh, I'm excited to see what Orlando Brown can do. Uh, obviously, he was pretty dominant for Baltimore, um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm kind of excited to see Creed Humphreys, who's the rookie coming out of Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, obviously, we know what Oklahoma can do, especially on both lines, and the fact that the Chiefs thought highly enough of him to draft him. And I think he very well. I don't. I think he's going to start, or at least he'll contribute. Uh, to this team on the offensive line. So they've got some playmakers now. Um, you know, Mitchell Schwartz is no longer there. It'll be interesting to see if Lawrence Duvernay Tardif can slide back in and pick back up, you know, where he left off uh, before he took last season off. I'm also intrigued about Kyle Long. I know he's injured right now and he won't start the season playing for the team, but they were able to lure him out of retirement. Is he a guy that, well, I mean, when he, when he was in his prime, he was a great offensive lineman. So, Will he be able to do that? Will he be able to play this year? I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see that. But the fact that they rebuilt that offensive line, it's what Brett Beach needed to do. And that, that I agree. That's the most important part of this season because clearly it was the weakest link for the Chiefs when they lost the Super Bowl and for most of the season. There are a lot of question marks coming up as well uh, on the offensive line. Uh, Chiefs did sink uh, some resources into Lucas Neong, who yep. opted out of last season, had been playing uh, for the Ravens, and there's some talk that maybe he'll be going from the right side of the line to the left side of the line for a, a very different kind of an offense. Even though they're both mobile quarterbacks, let's be frank here. You know, Lamar Jackson is not the type of passer, and he definitely wasn't last year. Lamar Jackson took a step backward last year. He's not the kind of passer and not the kind of passing offense that Patrick Mahomes is for the Chiefs. So that'll be a big adjustment for him. There's going to be some changes in the offense. Obviously, the big guys are back. You've got Travis Kelsey, who set a record for receiving yards for a tight end. I think he'll be the number one option this year offensively. And obviously, the Cheetah Tyree kill is probably the fastest guy in you know playing with a football helmet on on planet Earth. Uh, there is no Sammy Watkins, though. Even though he kind of underperformed, had some very, very big postseason plays for Kansas City. Uh, McCole Hardman, can he finally step up and turn into that number two guy? He's been a great special teamer for Kansas City. Can he step up and take those reps? Uh, Byron Pringle has been a guy who's played some on special teams. Demarcus Robinson is a guy who will have an opportunity to, to step in and take more of those catches that would be going to uh, that would have been going to Sammy Watkins in the secondary. Bashad Breland is gone. Uh, DeAndre Baker, Mike Hughes are also gone. A couple of uh, former first round picks and the biggest question mark, Tommy uh, Frank Clark could be suspended. I, I don't know if this has come down yet. I looked. I haven't found it. I don't really know what they're waiting on. If they're going to suspend him, it feels pretty unfair. Sure, if you want to suspend him, suspend him. Uh, he was uh, arrested in March 
on a felony count of possession of an assault weapon. However, there are some jurisdictional questions and uh, maybe a law that was being changed so that like now what he did, if he did it today, it would not be illegal, but it was illegal at the time. Didn't he have you an know, Uzi like in the back of his car or something? Yeah, basically what it was. I don't know if that's a ticket now or what, but apparently it was a felony count of possession of an assault weapon at the time. I really don't know what the NFL is waiting on. It feels very unfair to the Chiefs to not tell them, hey, by the way, you're not going to have Frank Clark. So big question marks on the defense for Kansas City, the defense that has been improved the last couple of years, but certainly was not the defense of the Super Bowl winning year that they were uh, when they won the Super Bowl, obviously playing in Super Bowl 54. Last year on the run to Super Bowl 55, uh, Tom Brady cut up the Kansas City Chiefs defense. They'll have to be a little bit better. What do you look at on that side of the ball? Well, I think, you know, you have to look immediately at week one, you know, for the Chiefs. Uh, and you didn't mention this, Teron Matthew has COVID-19. And so... Real bad. Real, real bad. So th- there, there's a good likelihood that he might not play, uh, at least in week one. And, uh, you know, I know that there's all this uh, discussion about... Are the Chiefs going to extend his contract? What's that going to look like? And Brett Veach saying that they want to, but they have salary cap issues. And Teron Matthew feeling, I think, a little disrespected that he hasn't gotten the extension yet. Uh, So there's kind of that going on, too, in the background. But uh, first and foremost, the fact that he may not be able to play in week one uh, will prove, you know, to be potentially an issue for Kansas City in the secondary. But, I mean, you're right. I, you know, with, with Frank Clark, um, if, if Weston were here, Weston would tell you all the reasons why the Frank Clark signing for Kansas City was the biggest bust in the last <laughs> 10 years for Kansas City. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do recognize that. Frank Clark has underperformed uh, since he's been in Kansas City. He had a he played really well in the in the playoff run in the Super Bowl run two Absolutely. seasons ago. Uh, but other than that, yeah, he's underperformed, especially for the amount of money that he's being paid. Could the Chiefs have found somebody else to produce? at a higher level and pay him less money. Probably there's probably somebody out there who could play defensive end, you know, that could potentially do a better job for less money, but it is what it is with Frank Clark. Again, like, like you said, there needs to be some clarity on his availability and what the chiefs can do with him, you know, moving forward. Obviously the chiefs still have Chris Jones. He's a a playmaker. He's dominant for sure. Um, You know, so I I don't know. I, I think that, yeah, there there are going to be question marks defensively, but I I love a lot of the playmakers that they've got. You know, Juan Thornhill has proven himself to be a, a great guy in the secondary for sure, a great playmaker. So I like the the guys they have. It's just going to be a matter of who's available, who's going to be able to play and produce at a high level. Uh, Steve Spagnola has been a, a great defensive coordinator, so I'm not overly concerned. I guess is my point about the Chiefs defense. And not going to be an easy start to the season for Kansas City either. I I look at this year in the AFC, Tommy, and I don't know if there has been ever been a year where I have looked at four or five teams in the AFC and, and I would say, you know, I would not be shocked if any of these teams went to the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs are yeah. going to get two of them to start the year. The Browns will be the season opener coming up on Sunday, the 12th, the 325 kickoff at Arrowhead Stadium, and that'll be on CBS. They come back the next week for Sunday Night Football, and they go to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Who knows? The the Chargers have been pretty tough on the old Chiefs the last few years. They've got them on September 26th, then the Eagles, and then you've got the Bills. So 
those are the three other teams, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Buffalo. I think those three teams have a fantastic chance to make the postseason and not just make the postseason, but maybe play for the Super Bowl this year if it's not Kansas City. So this is a rough start to the schedule. I totally agree with you and Tyron Matthew. I think that he's got to get his money. They've got to find a way for the most important piece on defense, the brainchild, your coach on the field. You've got to get him. Take You have to take care of him. In the same way you had to take care of Patrick Mahomes on the offensive side of the ball, I know they've got a lot of money tied up in Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. I don't know if the next available option for Tyron Matthew is one that the Chiefs really want to be looking at. I think they got to find a way because they're going to need him playing the offenses that you're going to see out of the Browns, out of the Ravens, and out of the Bills in the first five weeks of the year. If it is a go-good, if the Chiefs don't have confidence, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Chiefs may be playing the Redskins October 17th and might be looking at 1-4 and four as they go to Washington on the 17th. Well, that's a bold prediction right there. Uh, that's uh, not a prediction. I'm saying if things don't go well and you then things you lose to the Browns, you're are you telling me that you can't see that the Chiefs could possibly lose to the Browns? I think that they could lose to the Browns. They could lose to Baltimore. They could lose to uh, I almost called them San Diego. They could lose to the Chargers, and they could lose to the Bills. I'm not saying I'm not predicting that they will, but. Confidence is a weird, finicky thing. And if you don't come out of the gate and play well, you don't have that confidence. You know, Andy Reid is a fantastic coach. The Chiefs have owned and dominated the AFC West, winning the division, what, five straight years now? There's no reason to think that they're going to start the year one and four. But you're without your best player on offense. The Browns are a really good team. I think the Ravens are going to be better than they were last year and a really good team. The Bills are a really good team. This is not an easy schedule to start for Kansas City. It's not, but I can say with a pretty high level of certainty that the Chiefs are not going to start the season at one and four. Um, I just, that's not. I just don't see that happening for Kansas City. They do have a tough schedule. They've got to come out firing, but I just don't see that happening. As far as you know, sort of what I look for for Kansas City, and we talked about the offensive line being the most intriguing part. I would say a close second behind the offensive line is what the Chiefs are going to do at running back. Uh, will Clyde Edwards-Elair have a sophomore slump? You know, he started off last season really, really well. Uh, I, I had him on my fantasy football team, and the first, like, <laughs> five or six weeks, I thought, this guy is incredible. Uh, Grace Holmes, the return. Right. Defenses started to figure him out a little bit, uh, and he did get a little bit banged up. He's banged up now to start the season. Um, so what is he going to look like uh, to get going? It does sound like Andy Reid said that, uh, Edwards Elaire will probably be able to go in week one, but who knows how effective he'll he'll end up being. So he's a little bit banged up. But then who do you have after him? Damian Williams did not come back to Kansas City. He set out last season. Now he's a Chicago Bear. Uh, you've got Daryl Williams, who has shown flashes of being a solid and formidable backup. Uh, but then, you know, the Chiefs kind of took a flyer on Jarek McKinnon uh, as kind of their third string change of pace guy. I didn't even know Jarek McKinnon was still playing football. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have tried a couple different things over the years as far as backup running backs are concerned. Le'Veon Bell last season, which was a bust. They've had, you know, other guys like Carlos Hyde for a while. Um, but really never anybody solidified in that 
backup and third string role. So behind Clyde Edwards Elaire, who do you have? Can Daryl Williams be effective? Can Jarek McKinnon uh, sort of rebirth his NFL career a little bit with Kansas City? That'll be interesting to see as well because yeah, Patrick Mahomes can, you know, throw the ball in whatever direction he wants to, but you do kind of have to have a little bit of a change of pace. And Clyde Edwards Elaire was able to provide that at least for a while last season. Once again, Cleveland coming to Arrowhead Stadium, 3.25 p.m. And the latest update I'm looking at, as reported uh, by the NFL Network, Tyron Matthew, uncertain for the opener. It's not 100% that he's out, but as you mentioned, Tommy, that would be really, really bad. I believe that you can catch this game on CBS next week. Only one more thing to get to here as we wrap up the program on the Keeper of the Games podcast, and you know exactly what it is. It is time to go ahead and hit the music it is time now for the wichita whip around and look at all the sports maybe you missed a couple of things this last week that tommy and i want to make sure that you can talk at the water cooler about as you head back to work on this labor day weekend tommy what is your whip around story for this week yeah, so this happened actually a couple of weeks ago. We didn't have time to mention it uh, last week on the program, but uh, just a quick update for Shocker basketball. Sophomore Matt McFarlane has decided to lead the Wichita State men's basketball program. Uh, he signed with the Shockers last spring after two years at Colby Community College. Uh, didn't contribute a ton for the Shockers. Uh, he'll no longer be with the program. So just a quick update there for Shocker basketball. For me, I am going to go to the high school football gridiron and the battle for Tyler Road. Wichita Northwest has kind of owned this rivalry. Looked like they were going to again. 13-0 to start this game for the Grizzlies. Bishop Carroll comes roaring back with 30 unanswered points. And Dusty Trails, Bishop Carroll, Golden Eagles, perhaps resting control of the Greater Wichita Athletic League back from their Tyler Road rivals. They beat Wichita Northwest 37-27 to in week one of the football season in the City League, coming from 13 points down, a big-time second half, a big-time third quarter for the Golden Eagles. Other scores from around the City League in week one, which got underway last week, Cape and Mount Carmel, Weston Sharts, Pounded Wichita South at Carpenter Stadium, fifty-five to nothing. In that, what a one. great hire Weston Sharts was for Bishop for a Cape and Mount Carmel, by the way. Yeah, one of the legends, the pillars of City League football with state championship pedigree at Wichita West, Wichita Northwest, and now maybe he can bring Cape and Mount Carmel back. Wichita Southeast, I have been calling out USD two five nine for years because they didn't build Wichita Southeast a stadium. They finally have a football stadium at Wichita Southeast High School. They opened it up by beating Wichita North 28-6. Golden Buffaloes over the Redskins in that one to go 1-0 in Week 1. Wichita Heights, a little bit of a struggle last year for Wichita Heights. For Ole Heights U, they come back and beat Goddard Eisenhower in Week 1 to start this season, 28-23 over the Tigers. The Blue Aces played a out-of-league game at Hayes, got beaten badly, 35-6. Pioneers lost to Dodge City. 28 to 6 as well and those are some of your high school scores from around the city league here in week number one also in the kansas collegiate athletic conference Tabor beat arkansas baptist 29 to 14 sterling over midland in a nail biter 38 36 ottawa beat oklahoma panhandle state 42 7 
Number 12, Bethel. Got to keep an eye on the this team this year. They beat McPherson 24-0 on the road. Sterling over St. Mary, 49-10. Number 21, Avila over Tabor. What has happened to the Tabor Blue Jays these last few years? Avila has come in from the hack. They laid the lumber on them, 65-24. Tommy, your number 25, Southwestern Mound Builders, with a 41-13 win over Ottawa. And the Friends Falcons got absolutely obliterated by number 24 Kansas Wesleyan 65 to 7 so all of the ranked teams by the way Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference gets a lot of shade for not having great football they got four ranked teams in the preseason to open up the year Tommy all of them won and all of them won very convincingly very impressively yeah, that's always been a, a struggle for the KCAC. They get a couple teams potentially in the rankings, uh, but they never really make a lot of noise in uh, you know the playoffs, postseason football, mm-hmm. that sort of thing for the NAIA. So uh, the the better the conference is as a whole, um, that's obviously going to help you know moving forward in postseason. Any additions, corrections, and uh, or subtractions for you, uh, or retractions for you as we uh, wrap up the show here today? Uh, no, I feel like I was pretty perfect this week. I don't have, uh, don't have really anything to talk about. Wow. There's a, there's a Weston mention right there. <laughs> you know, uh, it's cost- been two, we, we've been doing this for two weeks now back on the show. That's the first hot take horn that you've hit me with. <laughs> I know. I, I don't like to, to spray it around as much as you do. I do have a couple. Uh, I do have a couple of additions. I think we have, we cannot get off this show without mentioning what Salvador Perez is doing oh, for the yeah. Kansas city Royals right now. 41 home runs. He hit home runs in like three straight games. He had three in like 24 hours last Mm -hmm. week. Right now, Tommy, it's actually true. Salvador Perez, what he's doing is incredible. It's unthinkable. He is actually the best baseball player in the world right now, without a doubt. Doing it from the catcher position, having possibly the greatest offensive season that a catcher has ever had. I think he needs five for the all-time home runs in a season by a catcher who played at least 75% of the games. That catcher record, which I think is Johnny Bench with uh, 45, if I'm not mistaken. And he's not that far from Jorge Soler's all-time single-season Royals home run record. Salvador Perez is on a tear like we have never seen Salvador Perez get on a tear right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. And it's hard to argue uh, anything that you just said. Um, I feel like uh, a bunch of other players probably need to go out and get Tommy John surgeries because maybe they'll <laughs> you know come back and start to hit a lot more home runs. But no, it's truly impressive what Salvador Perez uh, has done. It wasn't that long ago, Blake, that the three of us were talking about the Royals before the season even started. And we were talking about Will Salvador Perez be a shell of inform- of his former self? Will he be able to Will come to back play and to produce? His contract? Right. What a, what a bunch I of mean, idiots we were. Exactly. And, you know, he just went out there and just crushed home runs left and right. So hats off to him. Salvador Perez should be the mayor of Kansas City when he retires. What a likable guy. Everything that you want out of a Kansas City Royal is Salvador Perez. The other addition that I have, big branding change for the Newman University Jets. A new logo was released last week. Here it is. I've got it for you right here. Oh. Brand new logo. You can see all the details, newmanjets.com. They've got it for you there. Uh, believe it or not, Tommy, the Newman Jets were going against MIAA football previews on the MIAA website 
the announcement of this logo, uh, they've got a new NU logo. This actually got more hits than all of the MIAA football stuff on the MIAA site. Um, so I, I'm really excited about the branding change. Uh, a new apparel is going to be coming out soon. NUJetsGear.com is going to be get, getting updated soon with the new G, uh, Jets logo, with the new Jet, the actual Jet logo. There's a big article. There's a lot of symbolism in the logo. You can read all about that on there. Um, and also available for you Jets fans out there. That's coming up as well. Uh, that's pretty much all I got for this week, Tommy. As we uh, step aside here and head to ep episode 77 next week, we'll remind you to like, share, and subscribe. Really appreciate everybody watching and listening. Next week, obviously, we're into football season. We're going to have a Chiefs game to review. We're going to have a Kansas game to review. We'll have a Kansas State game to review. A whole lot more coming up as well. Need to get into some Shocker volleyball as well. Check up on the ladies after a very strong start to the season. All coming up in future editions of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Before we say goodbye, for our beloved audio listeners only, your Twitter handle, Tommy. Yeah, you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. We're at CogPod on Twitter as a podcast. We'll update everything right there. Of course, the best place to get the podcast, cogpod.podomatic.com. Like, share, and uh, send it to a friend as well if you like what you heard today. I am at B.E. Crips on Twitter. That is it for this week. Jayhawk, Wildcat fans, Chiefs fans, let's hope for some wins and hope we'll have something positive to talk about next week when we welcome you back to the Keeper of the Games podcast, and we'll see you then. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.